we can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Wrestling fans, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Sunday, March 19th. We have a solo episode today. I, I recorded an episode at the Tulsa airport. I wanted to get it to you. Uh, it's my download on the NCAA tournament. I haven't watched, rewatched any of the matches, so just keep that in mind as, as you listen to this. But um, this episode is just me giving a recap on the NCAA tournament. Thank you to our sponsors, Beat the Street Chicago. Go to btschicago.org slash donate to support Beat the Street Chicago and help every Chicago youth see that wrestling changed their life. Thank you to Quant Wrestling, the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. Quant Wrestling is a statistical platform where they compare hundreds of data points to predict wrestling outcomes. Download the Quant app now in the Google and Apple Play stores. Thank you to our fan of the week. This one goes to... Joel Carr. Joel Carr is a CTO and a former Illinois wrestler. I got the pleasure of sitting next to Joel on the flight to Tulsa. And by the way, folks, the flight to Tulsa from Chicago Wednesday night was legit 100% wrestlers. It was amazing. It felt like a, a huge bachelor party. Uh, and Joel was on the flight. Joel, thanks so much for listening and all you do for wrestling. And without further ado, folks, let's get to this episode, a solo episode with yours truly as we break down the NCAA tournament. Testing, testing, testing. It's Ryan Warner, host of the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. I'm at the airport in Tulsa. It's 10.10 a.m. Sunday morning, March 19th. There's a guy about 10 feet from me watching a video, so I'll try to remove that in the post, but if not, uh, please forgive me. Wanted to get this podcast down. It's going to be a solo cast today, just me. I have so many thoughts after an amazing NCAA tournament. I thought it'd be good just to get it down now for those of you who weren't here with us to watch it and those of you who were. I mean, geez, what a what a tournament. Let's start with Friday night. So Friday night going into the semis, we all know what happened. The great Spencer Lee went down, and it was one of the craziest moments I've ever experienced in real life. The sound in the arena was deafening. I mean, it was like it was like pulsating through your chest almost. But the crazy part about it is earlier in the match, Ramos had Lee on his back. And so right from the get-go, everyone gets there. We're a little buzzed up from the bars. Everyone's in full energy right away. 
Ramos puts Lee in his back. He's up 4-0. Lee battles back. He gets that takedown in the third with about 40 seconds left to go up 7-4. And that, pretty much everyone thought that was it. Lee's up 7-4 on top with 40 seconds left. And sure enough, Ramos gets away. And you know what happens next. Lee takes a shot, gets caught underneath, and Ramos hits him with the cement mixer, slips his arm through, pins him. It was crazy. Now, there's a lot of talk going on around th- three kind of related threads to this. One is the video of Spencer Lee's mom that was all over the internet. You know, it's not a not one of her finer, finer moments. I think she would agree. But I think at the same time, wrestling fans need to understand, if we want more media attention and ESPN shows up, they're filming the parents, they're filming the matches, we got to expect this kind of thing. I don't think it's something where, you know, wrestling fans need to be upset that this particular clip of um, Spencer's mom was was focused in on. But either way, it was pretty crazy to see, you know, her take it and then to hear Tom Brands talk afterwards that basically the Spencer they losing is is a tragic, tragic tragedy in their world. And so they took it super hard, as you can imagine. Spencer defaulted out, which brings me to my next point. Were you shocked that Spencer medical you know medically forfeited out of the defaulted out of the tournament? I wasn't that shocked. To me, it looked like he was injured from the Big Tens on. This could be total speculation. I have no evidence to back this up. It just seemed like to me that his typical shot, that high crotch to a fireman's or his his outside single to a to a kind of an outside fireman's, he wasn't hitting those like he normally does. And in the quarters against Noto from Lehigh, he was in a bit of a dogfight. Now, he did win the match via major. That's that's the kind of person we're talking about here. Spencer Lee majors this guy in the quarters, and everyone thinks it's a close match. But it, it did have people in the arena wondering, is he at full strength? And at the same time, Pat Glory's wrestling his ass off. Pat Glory looked amazing all tournament. And so even before Ramos Penn Lee, everyone was kind of wondering, could Lee go down? Is he a little susceptible? I don't think it impacted the impacted the the moment. I don't it's not that nothing to take away from from Matt Ramos, an Illinois boy. Nothing but nothing but uh respect and props to him. What an amazing moment. And to be able to go for it like that, down two with thirty seconds left after he got that escape, crazy. So that was a that was an awesome moment. It wasn't awesome for Spencer Lee. It was awesome for the wrestling world in terms of the energy that happened. It was, it was a sad moment for a lot of people, but it was electric. And that just started things off. At 133, I'm not going to go through every weight in the semis, but at 133, the next two matches carried the momentum. You had Vito versus Fix. Vito, cat quick, lightning quick, comes out, takes it to Fix. Now, I didn't think Fix looked that great in the quarters against Bird. I actually think there was a a horrendous stall call that went against Bird late in the match that probably should have probably should have sent Bird Fix into into OT. But either way, Vito looked amazing. Dayton Fix is one of the one of the best college wrestlers of the last decade, hands down. But Vito took it to him, and even late in the third, where you thought we were going to see kind of veto back up and hang on and, and rightly so he was up he was up big 
but instead of that, he he shoots a double, and it, I can't get the image out of my mind. He's he shoots a double, kind of spikes him down, and and he beats Dayton Fix. Right next door, twenty feet to the right, RBY and Mikhail McGee from Arizona State, another Illinois boy, were having a scrap. This was one of the funnest matches of the tournament, if not the most fun, in terms of Mikhail McGee, extremely quick, was probably too offensive in this match. I remember thinking that. like He was shooting almost too much because a lot of RBY scores came off of those, uh, off of those counters, but, man... McGee is amazing. He has no fear, was letting it rip. A couple times, he was so close to taking RBY down. RBY, incredible competitor, insanely mentally tough, defended them all, and got the takedown in overtime. It was an amazing match. One that I'll never forget. Like Those three on Friday night, Lee Ramos, Fix Vito, And then McGee RBY were just absolutely crazy. The rest of the night was amazing as well. I mean, this is one of the best tournaments, if not the best tournament that that a lot of people can remember in recent years. Um. So, so that that was one thing that stuck out to me is those three matches Friday night. Moving into Saturday, the talk all across town all day Saturday was that Trump was going to be at the event. Sure enough, he was there. It was quite a spectacle. He had a uh, had a kind of a a box on the lower left of the arena, kind of at like at floor level. Secret surface everywhere. You couldn't even get into certain certain areas of the arena. But it was uh, it was definitely interesting to see him there. Every champ after the match walked over and got a picture with with Donald. So that was a you couldn't be in the arena and not notice that. I mean that was a a very big thing for for a lot of people and it was a it was a spectacle all night. I'm just looking through my notes here guys. Okay. This isn't a positive note. I don't know why I wrote this down, but just something jumped out to me that guys, the arena was not sold out. Whoever says that this Nationals was sold out, I don't know if anyone's saying that, but a lot of times you'll hear wrestling fans say that it was sold out. This arena was not sold out. Not any session I went to was it sold out. I think the viewership numbers did great, and I think this attendance-wise this season was probably one of the best in, in college wrestling history. School across the country, school after school, was setting dual-meet records for attendance. But this national tournament was not sold out, and it was a little surprising. I saw one person post online that they thought the reason it wasn't sold out is that Oklahoma State which I don't know if they hosted it, but but you think Tulsa, Oklahoma, you think OU, you think Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State had one of their had their worst performance ever, and I think a lot of fans going into it were expecting maybe a maybe a down year because a lot of what I see online is that a lot of Cowboy fans maybe didn't show up in full force, and that's why it wasn't sold out. It didn't take away one bit from the energy. The wrestling was as good as it's ever been, and and the parody in wrestling now is incredible. It's Every match was a freaking scrap. But it bummed me out a little that in the finals on Saturday night, it was not sold out. The top section, probably a couple rows in each one. I still think, folks, I know you're gonna you're sick of me hearing this. I want it in Chicago. There's not a city 
that the Nationals has been hosted at that has more accessible airports, more hotels, more bars, more restaurants. The arena, we're talking about the place Michael Jordan played in, folks, the United Center. That would be that would be an incredible NCAs. I think Tulsa did as good a job as they could do. The arena was not as nice as last year, but I know everyone's very excited for things to head to Kansas City next year. So in terms of the uh, the attendance, the, the fans were crazy. Not a sellout. Next year in Kansas City, I think, is going to be electric. People love love Kansas City. All right, let's move on. Okay, back to the wrestling. Ohio State takes fourth. I don't know anybody, including myself, who had Ohio State in the picture to get a trophy at this tournament. And looking back at the results, even Friday morning, Friday night, I don't believe Ohio State was in the top four until maybe Saturday morning. You know, maybe you thought that that Nebraska would get on there. Nebraska was having a good tournament. Michigan was was hanging around there. Arizona State was hanging around. But sure enough, when the tournament was over last night, Ohio State takes a fourth place. Several guys out-wrestled their seed. They had Jesse Mendez. They had Romero. They had Smith. They had D'Amelio. And, they, of course, the great Sammy Sasso takes second to Yanni D. I looked up their dual meet record. And Ohio State had a, had a good season, dual meet wise. What was their record? Thirteen and three, six and two in the conference. But either way, folks, Ohio State takes a fourth. I think it's just a tribute to Tom Ryan, Jaggers, Steber. What an incredible job they did to have all those guys, except for Sasso, out wrestle their seed, or, or most of those guys out wrestle their seed was was incredible. No one saw Ohio State getting fourth, and they deserve a, a ton of credit for it. It's getting a team trophy in, at the NCAA tournament is such a difficult thing to do. There's always that, like, you know, you look at tiers in wrestling. You have the the top ten; those are your your Virginia Techs, your NC States, your Michigans, your Arizona States. Like those teams are perennially in the top ten, and and Arizona State especially, they've been in the top four recently. So I think there's a there's a big difference between 11 through 20, and then you get in the top 10, and then there's another tier of, of trophy contenders. And then you have Iowa and, and Penn State right now. But I don't think a lot of people had Ohio State in that in that trophy conversation, and, and to get a team trophy at this event is an incredible job by the Bucks. So congrats to to Tom Ryan and everyone there. Jesse Mendez, let me tell you, folks, my lord. Jesse Mendez battled in the Wrestlebacks, took out Lucas Bird in the blood round, broke my heart. And uh, and Mendez, true freshman, took him out in the blood round. So it, Ohio State, incredible tournament. Cornell takes third, folks. Cornell takes third. A lot of people kind of saw this coming, coming in, but once you get in there Thursday night, Friday morning, like anything can happen at this tournament. And you saw, I believe it was 157, Julian Ramirez. It was Julian Ramirez. Yeah, first round. Wow, I can't believe that was first round. Caleb Fish from Michigan State beat number four, Julian Ramirez from Cornell, 8-4. So at this point, you know, it's too early to tell, but that's, you're still thinking that Cornell could get on that, 
get on that team podium, but it wasn't looking good. And then on the on the backside, did Ramirez place? Ramirez did not place. Wow, he lost to Griffith in the blood round. That's how tough this tournament is, folks. 165 especially, but... Cornell takes third, 76 points, six more than Ohio State, and just six back from Iowa. You look at what Vito did. I mean, Vito got OW at this tournament, and rightly so. He wrestled incredible Friday night and Saturday night. I mean, the you can't explain the quickness, the explosion with, with, at which he shoots, his setups, his post-doubles. I mean, he's just incredible and doesn't stay on the mat when he gets to a single. It comes right up with it. So Vito gets OW, in first NCAA title for Vito in the finals. He takes out RBY. And then Cornell also obviously had Yanni, who wins it. He wins his fourth title. So Cornell gets a team trophy. Yanni wins his fourth. Vito is OW. Huge congrats to Mike Gray and the Cornell staff because you know this is their uh, first team trophy under the the Mike Gray. Mike Gray Regiment. Let's finish out the team standings and we'll get into the into some of the matches from Saturday night. So I would take second as a team. And I got to tell you, Friday morning and even Friday night a little bit, I kept looking up and seeing Iowa in second in the team race. And I was a little bit confused on how they were hanging on because everywhere you looked, it just looked like they were having things kind of not go their way. You know, especially with Lee going down. Real Woods was looking great, but a couple, you know, they had a couple losses. A couple guys lost in the wrestle backs. And so you're wondering, you know, are they still going to be able to score? Score enough team points to get on the podium. But they went six and one Friday night. Jacob Warner was a, a wrestle back warrior, led the team charge, put the team on his back. Mirren gets it done. Nelson Brands wrestled his ass off. Nelson Brands was battling. And and those guys, and then Cassiope coming through. I mean, what what can you say about that? I mean, 6-1 and one on Friday night, Iowa, second place, which, you know, to them it's, I'm sure it's tragic. It's not what they want, but you got to be happy with how a lot of those guys battled back. Sad to see Jacob Warner and Cassiope, two Illinois boys, I believe their, their careers are done, but oh, what a way to go out for Warner. Cassiope took a fourth. Had a tough one in the semis against Paris. Paris actually teched Cassiope in the semis, and that was insane. But nonetheless, Iowa gets second as a team. And obviously, the, the team champ, folks, Penn State. Penn State's had five finalists for like the last five, six nationals. I, I posted on Instagram the exact number, but I don't even know how to comprehend that. Five finalists, half the weights for the last five or six years have been from Penn State. Whatever they're doing, Kale, Casey, Cody, now Jimmy Kennedy, Varner, whatever these guys are doing is, it's it's mystical. I don't even know. I know Gable did it in the 80s, but I wonder how these numbers compare. They've won 10 team titles in the last 12 years. They're going to win it again next year, most likely. Some of their freshmen... Shane Van Ness, one of their freshmen who all year we're wondering, is he going to be the guy? Is he going to get it done? He gets third. Levi Haynes ran into a stud in the finals, AOC. We're going to get to him. He takes a second. One of the gutsiest matches I've ever seen in the 
I believe it was the quarterfinals against Andonian. Let me look just to make sure here. It was. All right, so Friday morning in the quarters. I remember this one because my brother and I had snuck down to the lower bowl. Don't tell anyone. And we, we played the old game, folks, where our initial seats were good, not great. We wanted great seats. So we moved down, did a little seat hopping, played the game of acting confused when a couple people kicked us out of their seats. But they were nice about it. But I remember this Haynes-Andonia match because we had managed to, to find our way down to the first bowl and had a great view of this match. Going into this match, Bryce Andonian, Virginia Tech wrestler, I've heard that he's one of the most dangerous in wrestling, and he is. Love watching this guy compete. And Haynes, true freshman, sat out his senior year to, to train with the uh, Nittany Lion RTC. True freshman, 24-2, the two-seed. Him and Andonian wrestled in the Friday morning quarters. And I'm going to tell you, folks, everyone in the arena except those Penn State fans probably thought at the time that Andonian had Haynes stuck. It looked like Haynes was stuck. And not for like two seconds, maybe for like eight seconds. Was I on the mat? No. Could I see his shoulders? Absolutely not. And I have not gone back and watched this match on YouTube, but I will. Either way, Haynes gets off his back. He's down 6-1. By the second period, I think he's winning. In the third period, he's broke Andonian, exhausted him, ends up pinning him. Levi Haynes is a bad man, and there's only so much good wrestling coming from him in the future. He's the second of the Penn State freshmen. He had Van Ness take a third. Haynes takes second. And then the, the third, you know, Facundo went, went 0-2, which, which is definitely shocking. Definitely shocking to a lot of people. Um, loses first round to Pitt. And then the Wrestlebacks loses first round to Julian Ramirez. Folks, this is how unforgiving this tournament is. It Facundo loses his first round match. And in his first round Wrestleback draws Julian Ramirez, the four seed, loses 12-2. See... This is why we have to go back and look at these brackets. Like, take some time, go on track, look at the constellations, look at the championship bracket early rounds, because so much is going on at the tournament that you miss a lot. And I, I've always said this: I watch and remember more of the actual matches when I'm at home watching than when I'm at the tournament, just because there's so much going on. The ADD kicks in a little bit. You're watching this match, you go to that match, you miss something here. Everyone starts screaming. You start watching match one. So go back and look at these brackets. I mean, the backside of 165 is absolutely insane. Just in the uh, this one section, Ramirez beats Facundo first round. Ramirez beats Braunagle 17-15. And I watched this one. Braunagle had Ramirez absolutely broke. Ramirez couldn't stand up. And I honestly am surprised the ref didn't give, it, give him... Um, give Braunagel more escapes. And what I mean is Braunagel would take him down, put his hands off him, like waiting for Ramirez to stand up, and he wouldn't. And so there's a couple of those where I thought maybe Braunagel uh, could have got another one. But, I mean, this Ramirez gutted out a win against Braunagel. Next round, guts out a win against Patrick Kennedy from Iowa. But then loses in the blood round to Griffith. It's just... I can't believe that 
Ramirez didn't place. I mean, look at that backside. The other side, you have Hamidi, Dean Hamidi, Illinois boy, taking uh, taking six. But I don't want to get off track. I just wanted to recap the the team standings. Kale did a great interview afterwards. Go watch it on YouTube. He talks about how winning isn't that important. Wrestling's a game, which is kind of crazy to hear him mention mention that. Just because I remember some t-shirts growing up. Wrestling isn't a game. You, you can't play it. And here we go. The greatest coach of all time is saying it's just a game. Winning is really not that important. How you hold yourself accountable, that's that's what really matters. So go watch it on YouTube. You know, in the arena, we don't get to watch all of the post-match pressers, the post-match interviews with Quint. I would love to hear those in the arena. My man, Stalemates, who we spent all weekend with Zach and Tyler from Stalemates. My brother and I did. Amazing guys. Love the Stalemates crew. But they were mentioning that, I don't know if it was in years past or if it was just uh, wishful thinking, but they used to play the the interviews that Quint Kessnick does with the wrestlers as they come off the match to the whole arena. And that would be pretty great because you do miss, when you're in the arena, you do miss Shane Sparks on the broadcast, right? You miss the interviews. Now, Jason Bryant, best PA man in the game, he's the best there is. But in terms of the match play-by-play commentary, it would be cool to have an earpiece in and and hear Shane Sparks and Anthony Robles or to hear JB and uh, and Jim Gibbons breaking it down would, would be pretty cool. All right, let's go through these uh, finals matches and then we will we'll sign off here. And again, folks, it, it's just me today. We're doing a uh, just a solo episode. I'm at the Tulsa Airport, heading home to the Shy. And uh, let's let's get to these finals. Okay, so I guess we should go in the order it actually happened. So it started at 157, which meant that everyone knew we were getting Carl O'Toole second. All right, so that's a nice little way to start the evening. But the first match was Austin O'Connor, AOC, Illinois legend. He takes out Levi Haynes in the final 6-2. to two. O'Connor was in control the entire match. Never a doubt. Haynes is, and that's not taking anything away from Haynes. Haynes is amazing, but O'Connor really wrote him out and then um, got to his offense, got got two takedowns at least. And Austin O'Connor wins his second NCAA title. Now, for those of you who aren't from Illinois, Austin O'Connor won five IKWF titles, which is the middle school division. There's only been three or four five-time IKWF state champs. There's been maybe 24-time Illinois high school champs, but there's only been, again, maybe four or five five-time IKWF state champs. Tony Davis, Israel Martinez, Izzy Style. Shout out Izzy Style. Isaiah Isaiah White, legendary OPRF wrestler, wrestled at Nebraska. And then Austin O'Connor. So Austin O'Connor wins five IKWF titles. Then he goes to high school, wins four high school titles. Then he goes to the NCAA and wins two NCAA titles. Definitely talking about one of the best Illinois wrestlers of all time. Illinois high school, Illinois-born wrestlers of all time. And he he just got it done. Looked great. Levi Haynes, dangerous. He's probably going to win three more or, or three titles before he's done. 165... It was a little shocking to see O'Toole control the match as he did. The th- the thing that I noticed was that, and this is, folks, I haven't rewatched these matches. This is not a match by 
uh, a match, uh, in match breakdown here, a match analysis, nothing like that. I'm just going off memory, and I got to rewatch all of these. But what I remember from the match is that O'Toole was able to finish very quickly, and that Carr really couldn't get to that to that single leg on either side. I know he he was in, you know, once or twice, but it was just it was a little crazy to to see the match go that way. O'Toole wins eight to two. Your heart breaks for David Carr. He he beat O'Toole twice within the last maybe three to four weeks. Does not get it done here though, and O'Toole be, becomes a two-time champ. Askren Askren trained Askren Academy kid. What a stud! I mean, gonna go down as one of the best college wrestlers of all time, as is David Carr, and a lot of bright futures, a lot of bright, uh, exciting wrestling on the futures for both of these guys on the freestyle scene. 174, Starachi gets a pin. Starachi's a bad man. I I mean, the song he came out to reminded me of like a Mike Tyson song when he's fighting Lennox Lewis. It was scary. Carter Starachi is scary. He He's not the, 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 the typical Penn State wrestler. I'm telling you, this guy, he wants to be a heel. Maybe he is a heel. He doesn't mind talking a little trash. He slapped around D2 wrestling in his post-match interview and nothing wrong with d2 wrestling i love all all divisions of wrestling but carter Starachi sirachi took a direct shot at usman in his post-match interview saying that the ufc belt was held by a division two guy which actually at that moment leon edwards had had won the fight and retained the belt but this is what i'm talking about with carter he doesn't mind talking a little shit he doesn't mind calling people out Whereas at the next weight up, you have Aaron Brooks. He wins in the finals, totally controls the match, never in doubt. And in his post-match interview, he's talking about he's talking about the big man upstairs. He's talking about the Lord. So that that's what I mean when I say that Carter Starachi is a he's a bad dude, and he he's gonna he's gonna hurt some people in the future. I mean he he's scary. Aaron Brooks. It's almost like I don't want to say it's um it's anticlimactic, but Aaron Brooks is that good that you just knew that this was going to go this way. Takedown or ride out another takedown. And, and Parker Kekaisen's a fucking savage. <laughs> the guy the guy doesn't stop coming. He's uh, he's gritty. He's tough. But Brooks was too much. Brooks looks massive out there. Really big at 184. It's going to be interesting to see what Sirachi and Brooks do in the freestyle scene in the years to come. 197. You know, by Thursday night, both returning NCAA finalists had lost. <laughs> so 197 was crazy. The number one seed, Nino Bonacorsi, did run all the way to the finals. Um, 197 was crazy in the sense that there were great matches every round, but I think I read a stat that every guy who was the seeds held through the first round, which is really rare. I mean, at 125 in the first round, the seeds were all over the place. I think like five five guys were upset, but a lot of the matches at 197 in that first round, if not all of them, went chalk. One that sticks out to me from this weight, Max Dean, what a warrior. Loses to Silas Allred 7-2. Cyrus Allred, he's he's legit. He's legit. I mean, 7-2 winner over Max Dean then he loses a tight one to Bonacorsi. I know I'm going on a tangent here. Bear with me. I just want to see where this ends up. 
Did Allred not? Oh my God! Allred did not place. He lost to Warner in the blood round. Wow. It's crazy. Uh, crazy looking back on some of these. Um. Okay. Let's get back to our finals recap. Let's go to 285. Mason Paris is a bad man. A very bad man, and he's scary as well. I, I don't know what he's going to do in the future. Greco freestyle, WWF, UFC. Dude's an athlete. He's big. Five to one winner over Kirklevit, which that dude can beat anyone. Greg Kirklevit, pinnacle trained, an amazing, amazing wrestler. And, and Mason handed it to him. And in the semis, Mason Paris tech falled Tony Cass. I don't know how. It, it's crazy to me to even think that because Mason's typically won those matches historically, but not by Tech Fall. Looking crazy. So I think it it bears mentioning that Mason Paris, definitely a Hodge candidate at this point. The Hodge trophy is going to be very interesting. To me, it's hard not to give it to Yanni. Was Mason more dominant? I think he was. Keegan O'Toole could be in the running. RBY would have been in the running. I mean, Carter and Brooks, I mean, those guys, I guess Carter had a, or uh, Aaron had a loss. I don't think Carter had a loss this year. No, Carter was undefeated. So in terms of Hodge, you got Mason Paris, you got Carter Sirachi. Was Nino undefeated? Nino was undefeated, 21 or no, or uh, 26 and 0. So Mason Paris dominates at heavyweight. Congrats to DeBormet, KJ, Chirella. Love those guys. Love the Michigan program. Go blue. 125, it was a little eerie out there not seeing Spencer in the finals. And everyone was kind of wondering would he show up on the award stand? What would the crowd what would the crowd do when, when they announced Spencer Lee taking sixth? Sure enough, he did show up. He was there all day supporting his guys. Not much of it. There's a little bit of a, a, an applause when Spencer Lee got his sixth place medal, but not much of a... Uh, you think back to Gable being on the podium in 1970 when he lost to, uh, obviously, the great Larry Owings, and he's on the podium, and you hear stories of Gable lifting his head up, he's crying, and the whole arena standing ovation. It may have been different if Lee lost in the finals, but it wasn't one of those moments. Lee got his sixth-place medal. There's a, a applause, no doubt. Wrestlers on the stand were even, on the podium were even celebrating or uh, applauding Lee, but it wasn't anything dramatic, and I think that's probably how Lee would have wanted it. In the finals, though, Pat Glory comes out with an American flag. It was awesome. There, it was just quite a statement. Matt Ramos, as I said, Illinois guy, doesn't get it done. Pat Glory wins four to one. Princeton's first national champ in like six seventy something years. Congrats to those guys. One thirty three match of the night, in my opinion. Vito Arujo, Vitali Arujo, the son of the great. Soviet world champion Vogar, OW of the tournament, and for good reason. He really put it on RBY. It's not taking anything away from RBY. RBY's win over McGee in the semis was one of the gutsiest I've ever seen. But Vito was just seen it different this weekend. His setups, his attacks, his finishes, so fast. You have to go back and watch 
Vito's match against RBY and Fix. 41, I was absolutely heartbroken for Real Woods. At the same time, happy for, for Northern Colorado. Troy Nickerson, Pascas. Congrats to Andrew Alirez. But Real Woods, to me, this this match, he was in control of this match. This was Real Woods' match. He uh, There was a little sequence in the second where they, Alirez reverses him. I believe it was like a, kind of like, not even, maybe it was a takedown. I have to go back and watch it. Like a standing, standing lat drop scenario. And takes real to his back and it was clearly a four count near full the ref only gave him two they reviewed it for about 10 minutes no joke the review was it it had to be five minutes maybe 10 minutes and this this begs a, a small side tension on the review process for the folks who were in that review box whoever the officials on the mat were calling whoever answered up the other end of that phone i heard it was officials and a former coach I got to know what takes you guys so long. What are you looking at? And I'm not trying to be trying to be a dick here. I'm just trying to understand what's going on. And I'd love to have one of you come on the podcast because as a fan in the arena and I'm sure on TV, the review process is excruciating. And even when the call on the mat was blatantly wrong, which was not the case with real well, it was the case of Real Woods. They only gave him two. It was a, it was a clear four-part near fall. And this this match, Alirez Woods, the call was overturned. But the large majority, 90% of plus of reviews or challenges are not overturned. And yet it still takes five to ten minutes. So I want to know, the people who are in that review room, what am I missing here? What are you looking at? What is your process? What are What is the average fan missing? Because... As it's as it stands, the review process is broken, and as in the case case of this Woods Alirez match, it totally disrupted the flow of the match. Not only that, some of these co and I don't even blame the coaches, but the timing of the brick being thrown needs to be clarified. Like for example, one match I can't even think of who it was. There was a locked hands call. The coach in the corner throws the brick. Two seconds, the match is not stopped. Two seconds later, the guy on bottom gets a reversal. Now he's on top. So what what do we what do we do in these situations? When do we stop the action? Right? When the brick's thrown? Because then that's a strategic advantage for the coaches to stop the action. I don't I don't to be frank, I don't love the review process in wrestling, I think, or the challenge process. I think maybe maybe reserve it for official requests only. I don't know, because it's just the way it stands now, it's a huge detriment to the tournament, and it, it kills the energy. And it, it also, it doesn't make sense why it takes so long. So, if we're gonna keep it, let's expedite the uh, the challenge process because it's brutal as it is now. And in this uh, Aliras Woods match, so the call in the mat was two Aliras, two near fall Aliras, and I apologize for the life of me, I can't remember if it was a reversal or a takedown. But it was a huge momentum swing. Everyone in the arena saw that Aliris had Woods on his back for more than a two count. So they they challenge Northern Colorado challenges it. After a nine minute review, the ref overturned their call and awarded four near fall to Aliris, which was the right call, in my opinion. Again, I haven't rewatched it. But after that, Woods just could not get it going again. But but his post match interview was amazing. I think every young wrestler should listen to it. 
I'm not going to regurgitate it here, but it was really positive, and and you can see why he's he's a champion and and he's a winner. He dominated this entire tournament, folks. He, except for the Thursday night against the Emilio, he dominated. I was really shocked that he didn't win this, and I, I would say of all the guys who lost, I probably feel the most let down about Woods because I thought he had it. Congrats to Northern Colorado. I don't know if it was their first national champ, maybe their third national champ ever, but huge congrats to Troy Nickerson and their crew. 149, last match of the evening. Yanni D gets it done against Sasso. Congrats to Sammy Sasso, an incredible tournament. Majored Parko in the semis. Yanni gets it done. He took out Van Ness in the semis. Now, folks, the score was 8-3. to three. It was much closer than this. Shane Van Ness, who to me is like the most, I don't know if most surprising is almost insulting. It's honestly like his performance was probably the most outstanding of the tournament, if you ask me. Shane Van Ness, 12th seed, takes third, taking out Panero Johnson in the quarters, taking out Rooks in the semi. And sorry, Panero was Thursday night, takes out Panero Johnson Thursday night. Rooks Friday morning, and then Friday night, Yanni and Yanni was losing late in the match. He was not as offensive as he normally was, and I was surprised that he didn't get to his single more often. But he did get it done, um, and in this in the finals, beat Sasso four to two. Becomes a four timer. You got Pat Smith, Kale. Logan, Kyle Dake, he's the fifth ever. Cornell now has two. I think everyone in the wrestling world, except for maybe the Matt Ramos camp, thought we would have had another four-timer. So I think the story is Yanni gets it done, four-timer. Is he the Hodge? I think he probably is. The story is also that Lee does not get it done. And I think there's a lot of questions on what's next for Spencer Lee. Was he hurt? And if so, is he going into surgery? If he's not hurt, when will, will we see him at the U.S. Open? We're going to have to. And what what does the future hold for Spencer Lee? I think that is one of the biggest questions coming out of this tournament. A couple other final thoughts here, folks, before we sign off. My plane's about to, to take off. Um, on Friday, I had the honor of... M- being the MC at the Beat the Street Celebration of Impact event. It was Friday between the quarters and the semis. So while most of the uh, the wrestling world was indulging in a few, there was a couple hundred people at the Beat the Streets party, and it was really cool to be a part of it. Jordan Burroughs gave an amazing speech. He was awarded um, the Beat the Streets Level of Service Award, as was yeah, Rue Washington. Mike Novogratz introduced him. Thanks to, to Gina Perry and Ben Ryder for including me. And uh, whoever, if you were there, you know, please, uh, please support Beat the Streets because it was an awesome event. I think final thoughts, folks, is amazing tournament. Best tournament I've ever been to. And I think a lot of people would say the same. I'm sad it's over, as always. Sunday morning after a big tournament is always a little bit of a a crazy feeling. Thanks to everyone who uh, came up and said what's up. It really means a lot to see some of the listeners in person and know how much you enjoy the show and, and how much it means to you. It gives me the motivation to keep doing this. So thank you so much. And if you weren't there, you know, let reach out to us on Instagram 
at wrestling changed my life. Uh, same with uh, same with Twitter and, and just let us know. We want this to be a community and uh, you know, reach out anytime for suggestions or, or just to let us know if you're enjoying the show. Our focus, my focus turns to the Henry Cejudo audio documentary. I don't think I've made this announcement official, so I'll make it now. You know, we are releasing a six part audio documentary on Henry Cejudo's wrestling career. It goes live. I'm trying to pull up my calendar, the airport Wi-Fi. It's a little slow. Let's see here. The documentary will go live Monday, April 24th. All six episodes will go live Monday, April 24th. Six-part episode on Henry Cejudo and his wrestling career. It has nothing to do with his UFC career. It's all wrestling. It's called the Henry Cejudo Experiment. And the reason we called it that is Henry, at a young age, 16, 17 years old, was part of an experiment conducted by USA Wrestling where they wanted to see what would happen if they took a young kid, moved him to the OTC, Olympic Training Center, skip college and focus solely on the Olympics, what would happen? And that's what the documentary is. We explore that question, what would happen if you took a kid and, and put him solely in a room to focus on freestyle? And we go in deep into Henry's backstory. You know, for this documentary, over 25 in-person, inter- not in-person, but probably 15 in-person interviews, 25 total interviews were done. I interviewed Henry twice, once in November, once in December, a couple hours each. And this project started back in August, actually. And, and our, our plan the entire time was to time the release a few weeks out from Henry's comeback fight. So Henry fights for the world title against Aljamain Sterling, Saturday, May 6th, out in Jersey. And so it's his comeback fight, his first fight in three years. And so this six-part audio documentary, we've been planning it since August to coincide with Henry's release or Henry's comeback fight. A huge thank you to to Chael Sonnen and to to Raleigh Peterkin, who have been instrumental in this project. And uh, now the real work begins. The script is finished. We're going to edit it over the next couple of weeks here. The trailer will be coming out uh, in a couple weeks as well, and I can't wait to get it to you. I think it's going to be bigger than The Smiths. The Smiths was huge. Uh, Slaying Satyev, Escape from Inglewood, some of our other audio docs, but this one, the Henry Cejudo experiment, is going to be really special. I can't wait for y'all to listen to it. And with that, I'm signing off, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna board my flight, head back to the shy, order a Lumal Nadis, put the Lulu Lemons on, and uh, and get some rest. It's been an amazing NCAA tournament. Thanks to my brother Tanner for coming. It's it's always great to to spend time with with T Dub and enjoy the wrestling. Thanks for everyone who said hi, and uh, we'll see you at next year's NCAA's at Kansas City. Signing off, Ryan Warner, Wrestling Changed My Life. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. If you enjoy this episode, please support our sponsors, Beat the Street Chicago, Quant Wrestling. And if you love Wrestling Changed My Life, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating or review. We'll see you later this week with a new episode. Peace!